Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on. It can lead to a, a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to talk to my friends uh, about the games that we're enjoying playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, I'm really excited. Yeah, I know I say it a lot, but I'm really excited because I get to talk to an old friend about a new game today. You will know this man from a variety of places. His voice was all over the Flames of War uh, podcasting universe for years. Uh, he was, of course, one of the great minds behind uh, the in Intensified Ford Firepower podcast, the Star Wars Armada podcast that I was a part of. And ironically, I never said a word. I know, funny, right? But you would also know this man as the guy behind WWPD slash boltaction.net. He was the guy who kept the entire network going and was nice enough not to throw out young punk podcasters like the LRDG when we got the entire network kicked off of iTunes twice. <laughs> <clears throat> On that note, of course, I can only be talking about the man, the myth, the legend, Steve McLaughlin. Welcome back to Cast Dice. How you doing, friend? Hey, man, I'm good. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to, to chit chat, chew the fat a little bit. All right. Talk shop. Get the crunch on, right? That's right, man. It's been a while. It has. It's been a hot minute. Now, for those of you who have been looking for Steve, either on YouTube or on some podcast somewhere, Steve, you've, uh, you've I, I don't want to say the R word, but have you retired? I've passed the test. I will diminish and go into the West and remain Galadriel, my man. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm not. I, I just, I kind of have decided. I think it's. Uh, I don't know. I haven't had the time, the desire, to to create content. But rest assured, I'm still gaming all the time, mm -hmm. two or three times a week on the regular. That's it. That's it. I was gonna ask if you're not talking about games, are you still playing? And I kind of spoiler. I, I did know the answer to that question because we're talking about a game that you've been playing today. Mm -hmm. Now, there's gonna be a couple of you that get a little maybe emotional, perhaps a little, you know, fur might stand on end when I say the next couple of words, but bear with me, guys. Today, we're actually going to talk about a Games Workshop game. We're going to talk about <laughs> a 40K game. Now, we're not going to talk about 40K per se. We are going to talk about, and you probably saw this in the thumbnail, so you know what we're talking about, but we're going to talk about the new small-scale skirmish version of 40K, the new edition of Kill Team. Now, I got this for Christmas, and I had the last edition, and I played uh, the, was it War for Armageddon, which was the previous version uh, as well. And I have to say, this is a very different game from the last two editions. And as someone who owns the dregs of many, many 40K projects, both kind of never got fully kicked off the ground and ones that did get kicked off the ground and just never went too far or they got finished and then got sold on. I've got a ton of models that are perfect for this game, which is why I keep buying the additions. 
But man, sitting down to play it the other day, it felt really good. Now, Steve, we're going to talk about the rules here a fair bit, but let's talk about how you got to Kill Team and uh, what has been your experience with it. Because I played a couple games, and I'll get into that. But man, this feels good, right? Yeah, man, it's it's great, and uh, it, you know, it is funny. 40k. One of my buddies who I've I've recently gotten excited about Kill Team said this, so I'm I'm kind of stealing his thunder a little bit. He said the Games Workshop and, and 40k as a property that I have like orbited around for so long. I know a lot about it. I've read some of the books. Mm-hmm. I played 40k Third Edition when the Tau were just coming out, so mm-hmm. that's how long ago. And then I have not picked it up since. And so, you know, the fact that I finally got pulled into this is, is just kind of fun. It's like, I know the universe. I've always liked the universe. There's never been the right game to get excited about it. And so, you know, frankly, what happened is Judd, our, our mutual buddy Judd, got me excited about this. He's a big 40K fan. It's like probably his favorite lore universe right now. He, he plays 40K. I don't think he loves 40k, but he plays 40k. I hear that and, a uh, lot, actually. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like, hey, it's it's what people are doing, right? So, got into the last edition. I think Judd was into the last edition pretty hard. I picked it up. I played a couple games, and it kind of wasn't for me. It didn't. It just didn't flow right. Yeah. But you know, with this new edition, as I started reviewing it, I was like, they they really they really hit on something here that that I think is really attractive to me. There's there's a lot of complexity, a lot of depth, a lot of really. And I say complexity, I, I don't mean complexity for complexity's sake. I mean, there's a lot of like design space there, a lot of really interesting interactions, a lot of hard decision making. I think I think they just really knocked one out of the park. And, um, I, you know, I don't I don't think that's a company that does that often, but it's a company that is relatively steady. And, and uh, this is kind of the culmination of a lot of work of a great IP matching up with fairly modern uh, gameplay mechanics. Right. And it, this didn't feel like a GW game to me, except I should caveat that. So I have spoken on the show previously that I really enjoyed Warcry. Warcry mm-hmm. is sort of the, the fantasy analog to this. It's sort of like a skirmish fantasy game. Again, four turns. Uh, you have a limited amount of time to accomplish something. Models have a very short life expect- expectancy. <laughs> uh, it's brutal. It's it's short, sharp, and I hate to say it, it's really fun. And I think Warcry is an incredibly modern game. It's it's very elegant in the way that it 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 flows. It's very smooth. It in a way, Warcry almost feels a bit like a Joseph McCullough game in that you don't have to mm. roll a bunch of dice. You just right. roll one set of dice and that handles everything and then that resolves it and you move on to the next thing. It isn't gotcha. like in most GW games, you roll a hit, you roll a wound, you roll an armor save, that kind of thing. No, right. it's all done at one time. So Warcry is very fast and you can play, you know, as a relatively inexperienced player. Now I've played quite a lot of it now, but learning the game even, I was firing through entire games of Warcry in about 45 minutes. And I mean, mm, full yeah. good games. Now, that was super streamlined. This is not that, but I feel a lot of the design of that game sort of made its way into the new edition of Kill Team. And it feels like there's definite elements that port right over. And as you say, because of that, it feels like a very modern skirmish rule set. 
Um, right. It's got some nice depth to it. But whereas I would say, I, and I know I've used the word before, that War Cry is very elegant. I don't think this is elegant. I think, as you say, mm-hmm. th- there's a lot more layers to this. Now, part of War Cry's elegance is that there's depth to it as far as the tactical play on the table. There's not a ton of tactics pre-game. This is similar, although there's a lot more pre-game thought you put into this because models can have different weapon options and there's different configurations you can put in, and we'll get into that in a minute because that's a whole other topic. But there's a lot more layers to this. So this, whereas I got Warcry in maybe two turns out of four of my first game and then played a bunch of games and had a good time with it, I played two full games of Kill Team with most of the rules, and I still don't feel like I've quite got it, but not in yes. a bad way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it's definitely, there's a lot more to it. I, I, you know, I agree with you. I don't think it's elegant. I think elegant is sort of a, uh, it's a great word to describe a rule set that obfuscates things without 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 removing depth right i don't think this game is 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 elegant but i think it has the right amount of depth and and i think compared to the previous edition of kill team it it does simplify and abstract away things uh without the cost of tactical depth and they've made some really smart decisions i think over the the previous edition which which we can probably go into i can't compare super closely because i didn't play the previous edition much i played a couple games and thought this i feel like i'm rolling 14 dice to get anywhere because you know there's the roll to hit the roll to wound and armor Mm -hmm. save and then there was another roll if i recall in, in that kill team i think there were a minimum of four rolls to see what happens um this has a lot of depth and a lot of the depth is not even on the table, which, right. which I think is, is cool. I think it's great for veteran players. It can make it a little bit tough for newer players. And I, I have some ideas and thoughts for newer players who are looking to get into the game, but you know, we, we have, there's sort of these, these two um, classes of, of lists. When, when you make a list, you make a roster, it's 20 models. Mm-hmm. And then before each game, you can actually pick and choose who you're choosing from that roster to put on the table, which I love. That's really cool. I love that you can be like, ooh, well, this time I'm up against a horde, so I'm actually going to leave this guy at home, but I'm going to take my flamethrower, right? You can, like, make those those really interesting, cool decisions, and, exactly. and it has, a like, fun hobbying and model at, modeling aspects to that as well. On the flip side, some of the teams are extremely – I, I kind of hate this term, but it's what, it's what I think best describes it. They're, like, bespoke, where mm-hmm. each model – has rules of its own and those rules aren't like reroll ones they're like super complex so you have armies like you know the the veteran guardsmen where there's 15 different models each with a paragraph of rules and yeah. the way those things interact that is that is depth but it's also complexity and it is frankly overwhelming when you're still trying to wrap your head around the core rules. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's, that's where the army lists, they put out a compendium of yes. get you started army lists because the that's way, right. when you buy the first box game of this, of course you get the Kriegers, the veteran guards that you mentioned a second ago and you get orc commandos and they've been mm-hmm. some other lists they've been putting out through either additional box sets and or white dwarf. But right. And those ones have a lot more to them. If you are starting out in this game and you are just learning and you don't want to be overwhelmed, it may not be a bad idea to go with some of those compendium lists because they are a lot simpler as far as options. Now, I'm looking at the Veteran Guardsman Kill Team. 
you get you put 10 dudes on the board and all 10 of them are different and you're That's just right. going wait Th- those are my boys right there I'm a, I'm a guardsman through and through okay so you like the bro so. with the shovel is that what i'm hearing <laughs> oh you know it man <laughs> shovels for the emperor homie and that is literally one of the guys has a shovel as a weapon then you know if you if you like the 40k death core of krieg fluff you know they're beautiful models beautiful models but yeah you know to your point when when we were getting into the game there are you know there's a lot to love about this game and and i don't mean to take the negative angle i'm here talking about it so i clearly love this game and i think i think it's fantastic there's so much to explore it's dense to get into there are aspects of the game that feel like a first draft to me the way line of sight works in this game is a little bit maddening. I've, I've wrapped my head around it now, so I, I understand it and almost even see it. Like, I see what they were going for, but it's it's kind of maddening compared to some games. And, and to be honest, man, most skirmish games have weird line of sight things. Like, that's just a, a fact of, of gaming in general. But these, these take some real... There's a lot of gotchas. And if you have not played and wrapped your head around that, there can be some moments where you're like, I'm sorry you're telling me this guy doesn't have a shot like that makes no sense yeah um you know that, that takes a little getting getting used to on the other hand the missions are fantastic i love the the overall um just approach to the game like i was talking about it's it's we show up we see the board okay we see the mission cool i see who i'm up against i don't know your specific kill team but i see your roster and then I get to both go build my team and build my secret objectives, yes. which just, the, you know, those change the game so dramatically and there's, there's so much fun. And that, that's where just a lot of the, you know, complexity and interaction comes in as you hit the table. And, and it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a blast and it's deep. I mean, I, I think at this point I've probably, I've probably played like over 40 games and I'm still like wrapping my head around different armies and different aspects of of the game and different secondary objectives are called tack ops in this game um and so there's just a lot there you know definitely well let's let's talk a little bit like there you've said a bunch of things in there that i want to dig into and are talking points let's start with those secondary objectives the tactical ops mm-hmm. now I, i've played in a bunch of 40k tournaments over the years that have had secret objective missions as part of them and there gets to be a point where you know what your six are and you know, you know what the six are that everyone can pick from. And so you kind of second guess what your opponent is doing. However, they add a nice layer to this because there's different types of kill teams, not just of the race, but um, of course now I'm blanking. You'll have to help me out there, Steve. I think there's like mm-hmm. a, a like a scouting, like a tactical. There's a yeah, se- seek and yeah. destroy. Different- Security. And yeah. infiltrate. There's yeah. these categories of tack ops. Yep. Exactly. So that mm-hmm. there are, and there's what, six of each? And six, six cards within each. Yep. yep. Six cards within each tack op. Now you can randomly pick those like we were because, oh no, you have to randomly pick those. But you get yeah, a choice. You, you actually, from the six, you shuffle them up and you effectively wind up with three. You draw two and pick one, draw two, pick one, draw two, pick one. So you do have some decision making. Exactly. But you know, sometimes you'll get your two favorite ones in the same draw yeah, or right. you'll get the two bad ones. So, uh, which is cool. Cause to your point, th- this is one of those layers of depth, right? This is like a nice, rich, like bean dip, you know, mm-hmm. we got a nice bean dip going with this game. And one of the layers is, okay, well, my opponent is playing Imperial guard. I know he only has security. 
I kind of know what those six cards are, but I don't necessarily know. Oh, is he going for the center? Is he moving that guy towards the center? Oh, he's got the center attack up one. So that's a whole layer of depth that, again, is kind of dense, right? Newer players are going to have no idea what's going on. And veteran <laughs> players are looking out, like trying to figure out what those secret cards are, right? Yeah, I was always picking the one that was like, shoot a guy kill him mm-hmm. done <laughs> yeah i can do that one okay next right. um and then the other ones was like i have to read a like a two paragraphs of text while i'm trying to remember what to do like learn this game and then uh accomplish my main goal no that's a, that's a bridge too far right now i'm just gonna focus on the main objectives and do what i need but Which it's funny i think is the best way to start man i think exactly. playing compendium teams and maybe even avoiding equipment attack ops for those first few games that's what i did Cause I was like, there's too much. Like we're going to, we're going to not make any progress with this game if we try to throw it all in. But now of course, you know, I've consumed it all and I've pushed out lots of really good information in my brain to fill it with kill team knowledge. (laughs) Who needs the, the name of relatives, right? Forget it. That's right. I've got all the, the kill team, uh, you know, tactical operations. I'm ready to go. Uh, That's exactly right. (laughs) Yeah, man. Well, let's, let's move on. Now you were talking about line of sight. Mm-hmm. I think the line of sight rules, and I agree, they they feel weird. Now, it's not a true line of sight game per se. Right. What makes this different, for those who aren't familiar with the board size, it's using the new small rectangular size board that comes with a lot of games, workshop games these days. It's not a six by, like if you have been playing 40K in recent years, and I haven't, so you'll have to bear with me here, guys. There's three of these rectangles connected to make a larger rectangle, which is smaller than, but is similar to a four by six table. Um, It's just smaller. So one of those rectangles is now the kill team space. So it's, it fits on a coffee table. It is very, you're supposed to play this game with a lot of, a, a lot of terrain density and that terrain should block line of sight. A lot of the time you should have a lot of scattered terrain. You should have a lot of rough obstacles and you should have some stuff like walls and just obstacles that people can sort of pop up and shoot over and that sort of thing. Now, in order for that terrain density to work when you are dealing with such a small scale skirmish game, they do something neat. When you activate your models, you can put them one of two ways. Uh, You can have them sort of being stealthy and concealing themselves or sort of hiding behind the barricade or you can sort of be balls out standing so you can shoot now if you're concealed you can't shoot but if you are um if you are Engaged, sort of standing what there it's called yeah yep. exactly Engaged. yep but if you're standing there uh, you know ready to shoot first of all you can shoot but you can be shot at back now i think that yeah. is a really nice layer of having the models interact with their terrain and with each other on the yes. tabletop. And it, it, it and, is, it's my, well, some of my favorite parts, but then it leads mm-hmm. to weirdness of, well, someone's standing up behind cover or they're hiding behind cover. What does that mean? And that's where the weirdness comes from, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's really the way, and there's different terrain types. There's light, ter- there's really two, there's light terrain and heavy terrain. And the way heavy terrain can obscure models, like even across the board, if like a tiny sliver of it's between you, that's one of the one of the kind of weird 
you know, gotchas there, but, but to, to say something, you know, on the positive about what you're talking about, I think that's a, a good example of an elegant solution. Right. You know, a lot of games, and I think even the previous guild team had sort of orders. Hey, there's mm-hmm. like one of six things your guy could do or has done. This is like, look, are they going hot? Or are they going quiet? Yeah. I, I kind of really love that. Um, and it's, it feels cool for a kill team, you know, thematically, because these are stealthy teams trying to get something done. So you're like, all right, you know, you squad, you're going to sneak up and plant the bomb. Heavy squad, you're going to go loud and like lay down some suppressing fire. It, it, it feels cool. That's one of my favorite mechanics in the game is that choice between like, well, do I stay stealthy or do I, do I throw my gun into the fray? Now with guardsmen, it's easy because we just fix bayonets and charge, but mm-hmm. you know. But this game, and I think you've just nailed it there, this game is very cinematic, and I love a cinematic game. But this, if you've ever watched a bunch of bad 80s movies slash commando movies, which <laughs> Steve and I definitely have. Oh, um, absolutely. This my whole like life outlook. Exactly right. This totally fits. Be it if you're watching Top Secret or you're watching Die Hard, this totally fits. You could use these rules you could report it for a lot of different 80s movies. It would be perfect for that. And I, I, I really like that. I often have trouble with a lot of skirmish games in that I get bogged down in rules for rules sake to make a, you know, when you put five or six models on a side with games like Malifaux, it's really deep. There's tons of rules and right. I just get lost. Because there's, they're trying to make an entire gaming session out of you having five or six dudes on the tabletop. What I thought right. Warcry did really well was, again, super streamlined. You got a bunch of games in quickly, but Warcry was designed for you to play three games in one sitting. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you played like a mini campaign, and that was how that worked. Now, this has more depth. It takes a little bit more time to play. But yeah, not this is somewhere in between. Right. right? It, this is shorter than a full size game, you know, longer than a, than a, like, I don't know. I'm not going to say a, uh, that War Cry's beer and pretzels. I don't know that no. that's fair. I don't yeah, know exactly. that I know enough to talk about it, but, but this is, it's meaty. I mean, playing a game, it, it's probably an hour to an hour and a half, not including setup, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, it, it's weighty. It's, it's not a three hour epic, you know, six by four you know, full size, like game of Legion or 40 K, but, but it's mm-hmm. not short either. And, and I think, I think probably when you get really good with the rules, it could be, but there's just so much chin scratching because this really is a game of chess. A lot mm-hmm. of times, you know, position is extremely important for the models choosing your activation orders are like really important, you know? So there's a lot of looking at the board, scratching your chin and going, Hmm, you know, Mm-hmm. But if you really don't know what you're doing, like I was when we were playing, it can go really fast because you're just running around <laughs> going, go, 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 go. But it resolves itself pretty quickly, and you, you're you not drowned in rules. There right. is depth, but you're also not drowning in it, which I find was a really it was a really nice threading of the needle, so to speak. Um, yeah, I, th- I think yeah. they did they did a good job from the previous edition. And, and again, I, I don't know much about 40k, but one of the big changes I know they did here is weapons don't have a strength and models don't have a toughness. Right. Right. So so they've done away with that. And instead, each weapon has a damage profile and a critical hit profile. And so you roll to hit. Cool. I got three hits and my my gun does three damage for a hit so i've done nine damage now you roll your saves to cancel my dice hits and rather than taking a wound to kill a model 
models range from you know seven to 20 wounds based on how tough they are so mm -hmm. they've sort of abstracted like a space marine is going to be you know big and beefy as both a three up save and 11 health whereas a guardsman is going to have a five up save and seven health so they die a lot easier mm -hmm. but you make it's not a binary thing of, if i remember right in the last kill time i think maybe there were some models that had like two wounds but typically it's like you're either alive or you're dead yeah. and this you can kind of take wounds which is another part of the cinematic like oh man my guy has one hit point left mm -hmm. but he's holding the objective down you know which literally happened in my last game which was awesome by the way yeah it happens um, a lot <laughs> oh, man just holding on by the you know fingernails on the edge of your chair going come on you can make That's it right. um but <laughs> That, I mean, that, what you're describing there, that it, as far as you roll a certain number of dice and then your opponent tries to cancel out some of those dice and then for every one of those hits, it's or it's either a hit or a crit and a hit does a certain amount of damage depending on what weapon you're doing and a crit does a certain amount of damage depending on what weapon you're doing and you take that away from the opponent's health. That is straight out of Warcry. That is the Warcry okay. that I love and I love that mechanic. Because, again, it, it cuts out all that additional die rolling, but it, a space marine still feels like a space marine, and an orc still feels like an orc. Like, an orc is tough, has crappy armor, yeah. and they still get that across in this rule set, whereas right. it is it feels very different from, like, uh, an Eldar, you know, who is possibly agile, but isn't the toughest dude in the world and doesn't right. have the best armor. Like, you really do feel each race feels air quotes, right. Uh, yeah, this, they, they've really done a enjoy. really good job with the theme of, of all the of all the lists so far. Um, and I think it's worth noting that this is not a points balanced game for better or worse, right? Thank you. Like you yep. don't you don't spend points on it on your team, you kind of have uh, a roster that you get to Well, there's a term for that. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But you know, you don't spend points on your kill team. And you know, Something in my in my old age these days, as I am, you know, diminishing into the West. I think <laughs> me and and my my game group, you know, shout out to Judson. It's it's something he and I talk about quite a bit, and, and all of Judd. us. All, yeah, my main man R1H4 over here. We we actually we got together and played a bunch of Kill Team when it first dropped. We 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 snuck away into the secret frozen north of the United States and had a secret gaming conclave and uh played kill team for three days straight but anyhow we've given up on the idea of balance anyway mm -hmm. <laughs> like it just you know there's 17 factions in this game whatever it's just it's not a thing that is feasible for game companies to really get right they, they take a stab at it and that's kind of got to be good enough um and so you can kind of just lean into the fact that's like you know that's that's what this team is who cares about the points you know the, the, it kind of gets rid of that layer they don't have to worry about it as much and i think by and large the game is actually really well balanced you know there's always going to be those outliers like always tournament players are always going to find the stuff that works best mm -hmm. within the you know within the constraints of winning games and they're gonna they're gonna run with that but you know there's a lot of data now people do a good job of data collection on games and tournaments and, and it's it's really not like a huge egregious deal there, there were some right off the bat they messed up and a lot of that stuff's been fixed so yeah well let's i think you bring up some man again you bring up great points and you're jumping to a bunch of my talking points so let's jump to um <laughs> squad creation kill team creation now yeah. kill key uh sorry kill teams um when you when you're building a force you're basically building a kill team now some kill teams 
when you are building it, you're actually buying two kill teams. For example, if you get um, like trader guards, or sorry, trader marines, you can get one of two kill teams. One, trader marines, right. where you get three traders, and or trader guardsmen or cultists, where you get, I think, six or seven dudes. Eight. It's eight. You get eight. There you go. So you could awesome. have, but you can have six marines, two groups of three, or you could have 11, so you can have your three and your eight, like your three Marines and your eight cultists together. And I'm not sure if you can run all cultists, but if you can, nah, no, you can't yeah. do that, but, but you're right. And, and I will say that this is a um, format reserved right now for the compendium, mm-hmm. not the bespoke teams. And, and in talking about that, the compendium, they sort of, you know, right at the start of the game said, everybody has something they can play with. Every mm-hmm. faction has some options. They're, they're, I think you would be hard to say that they're all on par with the sort of bespoke teams. Some of them rise above. Some of them are actually really fantastic, but they're, they're kind of enough. They're kind of a get you by as these more interesting bespoke teams, often with dedicated models or being used as a way to introduce a new mm-hmm. line of models into the 40 K universe, you know, as they come out they're they're a little different than the compendium teams. So the compendium teams to your point often have this, fire team concept yeah exactly. and you buy them you buy them in groups of fire teams and then essentially you still build out your 20-man roster uh but but they have to be valid fire teams available so yeah to your point you know the chaos guys you have two fire teams available to you they're either the heretic astartes or the or the um the cultists uh you know guardsmen have you know regular guard guys or a fire team of scions they're sort of like special forces dudes and so on and so forth but but then the bespoke lists are a little different they're more um they're more like you have a number of slots for Mm -hmm. for models and you pick which ones go in those slots and and rarely uh well maybe not rarely most of the lists have an option to say and for two models you can take this guy Mm -hmm. so you know the guardsmen for example have have one sergeant and then nine more slots and you just pick from any of the nine for that but some of the the you know the the more um the, the ones where they have like different sized models available for example mm-hmm. the admech you know they can take like one skitari ranger or two skitari rangers or for two slots take one of those weird like rust stalker things mm-hmm. so they're a little different in their in their list building um and they're frankly just more flexible as a result of that because you have to buy chunks of like fire teams in the compendium lists mm-hmm. uh, anyways probably got a little too deep there on army well, building no but I, think I, think it's great. I think that's great but <laughs> let's let's go through let's go back to the veteran guards because mm-hmm. you started talking about that and i think this is a great place to go with these let's talk about what a veteran guardsman kill team what your options are. Now, remember, Steve yeah. said earlier, and I want to draw an underline onto this, there's no points in this game. There are no points. You right. just are picking from a menu, and this is the menu for this team. So a veteran guardsman t- kill team will be made up of 10 guardsmen operatives or dudes and one support option, which is in a side thing, which we'll talk about in a second. Yep. Now, you can have 10 guardsmen, as I said. One is a sergeant, like Steve said. Now, you can either give your sergeant a bolt gun and a bayonet or a bolt pistol, las pistol, plasma pistol, and a chainsword or power weapon. So, Mm -hmm. again, you can give, let's say you have a dude with a bolt gun, 
Cool, no problem. That's one of your options. Let's say you have a dude with a las pistol and a chain sword. Cool, no problem. Let's say you have um, another guy who's got a plasma pistol and a, a, a power weapon. You can use that. But if you have a bolt gun and a power weapon, like I know one of my old um, commissars used to have in my guardsman army, that isn't legal because those aren't the pair-up options, if that makes right. sense. So you have right. to pick one of those sets of combinations. Then you have nine veteran operators. Uh, and, and just as a oh, reminder, yep, as you build a roster, you could have multiple options for him. Right. But when you're building your actual kill team from your roster, you have to pick one. So you could say, maybe I want the sergeant with the with the bolt gun, you know, uh, for if I really think I'm just going to be holding the line and shooting from a distance. Mm -hmm. But then I want the plasma pistols power weapon for a sergeant who's going to be mixing it up. And then based on what my opponent's playing, I might pick and choose which sergeant's going to lead the kill team today. Brilliant. Yeah. So exactly. that's where I have that 20 man roster. And then I build my 10 man kill team from that. Now, you know, the, the kill team has to be legal. So you have to set your, you can't have 19 sergeants in your roster, <laughs> but you know, might be fun, but yeah, exactly. Uh, so you have <laughs> yeah. nine veteran guardsmen uh, left because we have the one sergeant and then nine other dudes. There yep. are veteran uh, trooper veterans, which are just basically bros with last guns, uh, a confident, uh, confident veteran who has either a bolt gun with a, or a last gun with a bayonet. Or who has a bolt pistol uh, or a las pistol with a chainsword. So this is like a mini mm -hmm. sergeant. But again, you have to yeah. pick one of those options. You He's kind of your second in command. And you'll love this from Flames of War days. We, we all were calling him the confident veteran, thinking mm -hmm. that's like a Flames of War thing. It's actually like confidant oh, it veteran. Is. I, I was misreading Which is it. a weird, it's like, I guess the Sarge confides in him. <laughs> He tells them all his secrets, man. <laughs> exactly, right? That is a little strange. I'm just looking at it going, yep. Yeah, it is. Mm. I, I, I saw it when I was like, is that a typo? And I was like, no. No, It's, it's the not. guy the Sarge confides in. They're best buddies, which I love. This yeah. is a game about friendship. Aw, I love it. Um, <laughs> so you have a, a, a zealot veteran who is holding a book, I believe. and Oh, it's the infantry, the, the infantry man's primer. He's shouting, you know rhetoric to, to stir the blood of the, the soldiers exactly but he, again las gun bayonet dude um you have a you could have a medic who's carrying the med gear you could have a comms veteran you could have a demolition veteran who um basically is able to take a remote mine which is cool uh you have a bruiser veteran and he's the guy with a shovel right yeah you can have a shovel or like a trench club yeah uh, you yep. have, I should have picked another team because I don't know <laughs> this veteran guards <laughs> is like the one team I don't know. Cause I haven't been reading the rules yet. Um, we have a hardened veteran who I don't believe has different weapon options, but has slightly, Oh, he's got a bionic arm. So he's, yep. um, yep. got slightly different stats. The That's sniper right. who's got the sniper rifle, a spotter sniper is the best dude in that team. He's so good. Oh, right. He looks cool. Um, just, both rules wise and model wise. Um, we have a spotter veteran who's can call in a mortar barrage. Uh, so that feels very bolt action. And then you can have a gunner option. Um, now there are gunners with grenade launchers. You can have a gunner with a melta gun. There's a gunner with a plasma gun and a gunner with a flamer. Now, mm -hmm. unlike a lot of lists, those are separate options. So you can right. have multiple, you can have a plasma gun, a melta gun and a flamer in your, um, kill team, but you can't have 
three plasma guns. Right. If that makes sense. Right. Um, because of the way it's written. So operatives can be selected up to nine times, but each one can only be selected once, if that makes sense. So you can't have 10 dudes holding the infantry primer. You can't have 10 dudes calling in artillery strikes. You only get to pick, except for the basic grunt trooper veteran that we talked about with the last gun and the bayonet, everyone yep. else can only be picked once. So that means right. you need to kind of pick um, what you're doing. Now, when you're playing teams like, because I've played the Trader Guardsman, uh, sorry, the Trader Astartes, Heretic Astartes a number of times, um, as far as now all my guys can have bolters or all of my guys can have bolt pistol and chain swords. Which one am I going to take on my basic guys? Right. And then I have my gunner guy. Do I give him a heavy bolter? Do I give him a rocket launcher? Or do I have like the special weapons guy? Do I give him a melt gun, plasma gun, or flamer? Again, it depends on what you're fighting against. But but they're all sort of nothing is worth more because there's no more points. So you're picking from a list. Um, and yeah, I, I from the three games that I've been a part of, the two that I played and the one I kind of watched, this makes sense. This feels good. This mm-hmm. put that alone put me off the game for months until uh, I talked to a couple who people who played and they said it actually works. And I said, well, cool. I trust these people. I trust their um, you know judgment on this. That put me off totally like a game system without points. I got burned hard by Age of Sigmar. I was like, yeah, no, no, thanks, buddy. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. <laughs> this works. This works really well. Um, of course, people can find the best efficiencies because that's what gamers do. Yeah, but, but points still don't feels solve good. that. No, right? exactly, I mean, we've right? learned that over 25 years of gaming. Points mm-hmm. don't solve that. They really don't. They really don't. So this feels good. I, I really like the team construction of this. And if you're thinking, yeah, but I want to have the ability to add cool gear. Well, but wait, there's more. Steve, can you talk to us about the equipment list and how that works? Because I thought that was a nice extra layer of detail that you could add when you're playing this game. Yeah, that that's another super cool thing. Um, but uh, similar to choosing from your roster, your kill team, as you know what mission you're doing and what your opponent is running, you then have essentially to get to go to the quartermaster and equip your guys with some equipment. And you basically have 10 points Gear is, you know, priced, uh, you know, a frag grenade is two points, a crack grenade is three off the top of my head. It is. And you basically kind of equip all your guys. And, and there's some really interesting things that, that can really um, help give identity to the individual lists or shore up their weaknesses or, um, you know, support their strengths and, and, and then just provide cool options that can make your opponent's head scratch, you know, or, or make them scratch their head. Well, if we're uh, talking you know, about the guardsmen, let's go through that list real quick. So you have 10 points to choose sure. from hotshot um, pack that you can add, which if you've read the Dan Abnett books, you know, the Gaunt's Ghost. Oh, yeah. Like the hotshot las guns or hotshot packs for las guns, burning guns out, but being more powerful. I love that. That's, that's one right. of the things, right? So yeah, that's the hotshot gun is cool. It yeah. raises the damage on the on the las gun, and those are great to give to your your schlubs, your just regular troopers. Mm-hmm. Suddenly they're they got some teeth. Because let me tell you what, those las guns they leave great. a little to be desired. Oh. <laughs> but man, those flashlights can warm you up if uh, you point enough flashlights at someone, right? That's um, right. <laughs> so you got the hotshot pack. That's two 
points out of your 10. A rosary, mm-hmm. uh, a hand axe, a trench shovel, for those of you who want the shovel. Um, you can have the frag grenades, as Steve said. Now, all of the things I just listed were two points out of the 10, but you could do crack grenade, chronometer, and topogra- topographical charts. Yeah, so let me talk about those two, because so I think those, those are, are really all, interesting. So those are all three. So those are more mm-hmm. expensive. Tell us right. why, because they're cool. Yeah, they're cool. You know, the crack grenade right off the bat, it just it does a lot of damage to an armored target. It's a pretty, I won't say guaranteed, but it's a it's a safe way to do a lot of damage or kill mm-hmm. something like a space marine. So that's where if I'm like, hey, I'm up against space marines and I've got these flashlights, I need to give my dude some crack grenades. But you know, most lists have things similar to those. But then each list also has their sort of quote unquote bespoke options. And and here, you know, the trench shovel. They had to give that to the to the death core, right? Because mm-hmm. it's super cool. And it matters. You can like dig a guy in and have them count and cover, even if they're in the open. And I've seen it used to I sort of wrote it off. It's been used against me and it was fantastic. But you know, another one is like the chronometer, right? It's and, and you can actually model these too. They have options for these. It's like a, an arm where a dude's looking at a stopwatch and it lets you re-roll initiative one time. So initiative in this game is huge you know mm-hmm. being able to to last first if you're lucky makes a big difference um and then that topographical map lets you do sort of an additional um there's these options at the start of the game that you can pick and choose like to do one it's sort of like a recon option and it lets you do a second one it lets you do something additional um which can be really really big you know for for setting up the uh the the, the board state in, in your advantage to your favor yeah, so these equipment, I mean that those pieces of equipment really do make a difference and they they change the way that your kill team works and I love that you have the option to to buy and pick from a list um and some are more valuable than others and they've pointed that a- accordingly. So you you do have those options. Uh again, I really like how this feels. Now, Steve, you did talk about actually my next talking point already, which is when you are first deploying this game, um, I l- you don't just set up your dudes and I set up my dudes uh, according to the mission, although we do do that. But before the right. game goes hot, you need to figure out what your guys are doing. Can you explain that process? And I'm, I mean, in addition to whether they are sort of concealing themselves or standing up and being ready to shoot, there, there's sort of like a rock, paper, scissors pregame strategy to this that i really still don't get having only played it a couple times but having you having played it can you explain that because it like i I love the concept of this and i think there's a lot to it i just haven't quite gotten it yet yeah it's a really cool kind of paper rock scissors and and if it's all right i think i'm gonna take a step back and walk you through how a game gets set up really quickly please because i think it's i think it's like the best part one of my favorite parts is this this point in the game i could almost do this and then just like all right let's roll it back start over so you once the board is set up and the mission is decided upon right after you've done that you then go to your roster and decide who's going in you know you got your bench you got your team you're deciding mm-hmm. who's on your starting lineup and you you don't know what your opponent's choosing but you do know what faction they're taking so you can probably start to guess right like i'm like okay well i see space marines across the board so obviously i'm going to be fighting high armor so that's when i pick who of my actual dudes is going into my kill team and then we kind of simultaneously reveal that we say all right here's our kill teams okay great then we go on to pick out our equipment so that's again where you get kind of now i know not only what list you're running 
I know specifically who's in your kill team and I can make some decisions on my, um, my equipment. So for example, if you're running the trader Astartes or the heretic Astartes and you took the cultists, mm-hmm. well, all of a sudden you've got eight squishies. So now I'm like, hmm, maybe I actually want a frag grenade or two. Cause that that'll take down those guys. Whereas if you were only taking space Marines, I would load up on crack grenades, for example. And then after we do that, we then uh, figure out our tack ops. Those are those secret secondary objectives we talked about. And, and your kill team will have access to one or more of those archetypes. And you choose that in secret. And then from those six, you draw two, pick one. But wait, there's more. The bespoke kill teams actually have their own faction tack ops. So here's a great example. You know, the, the veteran guard, these guys are all about dying in the name of the Imperium, right? It's a horrible, bleak life that we, uh, you know, it's satire mm-hmm. in the extreme. And um, one of theirs, for example, is essentially, you know, glory and death. And it is a secret card where if I score more victory points from the mission, meaning not from the attack ops, but from the core mission itself, and I lose more models than you do, I score two additional victory points at the end of the game. So that changes the way I play. I'm more willing to throw my bodies into the meat grinder Mm -hmm. if it means I get those mission VPs because I know they're a sweet reward on the other end of that. So so that's an example of how the tack ops, based on what you draw and what you wind up with, can, um, can influence the way you play your game which is really cool. So you've got the combination of who you took from your roster, what equipment you took, what you're facing, and what your tack ops are combined with the mission itself really dictates how you approach it, which I think is great. So, so then to get to your, your, the point you were, you were getting to here, we determine our attacker defender, and the defender has to set up everything, followed by the attacker. Mm-hmm. And then we do this really cool... It's basically paper, rock, scissors to figure out initiative at the start of the game. Mm -hmm. And um, to do that, you each take three dice. You secretly put a number of dice in one fist and at the same time reveal that. If you do one die, you uh, get to put a barricade, an additional barricade down after you've deployed. So it's pretty nice. You can kind of know where you might want to barricade. Uh, if you do two, you get, and I get these mixed up. I have to check my reference sheet all the time. I think if you do two, you get to make an immediate dash action with one mm-hmm. of your guys, meaning one of them gets to move a little further forward, which can be great. I mean, that can be devastating. I had a game that ended on the first activation of the first turn because I was running Sisters of Battle with this big flamethrower. And the guy I was playing deployed his units really bunched up and pretty far forward. Mm -hmm. I did this, and then on her turn, she ran up and just got in range and just absolutely purged some Xenos that day. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then the third option is you can change somebody's order on the first turn. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get into detail there, but essentially you have to decide what everybody's order is on the first turn and you can't change it only on the first turn and subsequent turns. When they activate, you pick what order they want to be in, whether they're sneaky or going hot. Um, And then, so we talked about this paper, rock, scissors, one beats two, two beats three, three beats one. And that's how you determine who kicks off the initiative. And on a tie, the attacker gets it. So it's a really cool, like fun little mini game, all of all leading up to the first actual turn of the game. You've made a hell of a lot of interesting decisions mm-hmm. and, and had to already think about what you're doing, what your opponent's doing. And I love that. I love it's not just throw models on the table. There's a lot of thought that goes into before you even make your first model activation. 
Now let's let's dig into what happens once the game actually starts. Now this is a sure. four turn game. This is not a six turn game. It's four turns, and you need to accomplish your objectives in those four turns. Now, of course, there's different missions mm-hmm. that have different objectives, but this is largely a, an objective-based game. Killing yeah. models does count because it does affect whether your opponent's able to grab objectives and whether they're able to hold them. Um, but it also, uh, oftentimes, you can net victory points uh, for killing opponents' models and grabbing objectives at the same time. So yeah. this is not a wipe your opponent off the board kind of game. Uh, it is far more objective-based, but the objectives, they do they, they you interact with them differently than a lot of other games. Like you might grab a set of objectives early on, but then the objectives closer to you disappear as the game goes on and then you have to move forward. So it, it encourages you to move forward because all of a sudden you're not holding objectives anymore. Um, you can right. also grab objectives and run away with them. But of course that takes up action points, which I'll get into in a sec. So uh, I, I really like the layers of this it's not just a run forward and beat up your opponent game um which a lot of games suffer from like you you may not see the point of grabbing an objective but for this you are and as we talked about before there are sort of primary objectives for every game that you know net you victory points for the mission that you're playing come from the right Yep. yep and then you have the secondary ones depending on your specialization of your team uh, and those cards that you chose, uh, the three of the six or the three of the nine, depending on if you're playing a bespoke or regular. So there's a lot of objectives going on. Uh, and so, man, when we were playing the last game, I think Dave got something like 13 victory points or something. Uh, and I was thinking, wow, that seems to be a lot. Uh, but he just kept racking them up and going, yep, okay, cool. So... <laughs> There, yeah, there's there's a lot of opportunities for you to score victory points to win this, these games, um, but because there are the secondaries and the primaries, and there's a lot of both, this game seems to have, and of course, I've, I've again, only played two, part of three games, um, watched a third. It seems to have tons of replay, replayability, and you're not playing the same thing over and over again. Would you agree with that? I, I definitely do. There's there's nine missions in the core book, and each of the two sort of campaign settings has come with nine additional missions. And so far, we've loved all of them. There's one mission, there's no reason to get into, one mission that I'm kind of like, I hope this doesn't show up in a tournament because it's very, uh, it feels unbalanced for one side. But every, uh, that's there's only one. Out of all the missions mm-hmm. I've played, they're all like, that one's really fun. They're all very different. You know, some of them, to your point, require like, well, this is going to be a big bloodbath in the middle. Some of them are like, okay, I can afford to be pretty cagey in this one. Um, and and that that adds to that replayability. You know, like I'm saying, there, there's so many combinations and variables getting into the game based on the mission, the opponent, the secret tack ops, all those things make for very different experiences, kind of each game. Absolutely. Now, I want to jump back for a second because I know we talked at length a minute ago about how an orc feels like an orc and how a marine feels like a marine, for example. But there is one more element to that, and that is the action points. Now, typically Mm -hmm. in a lot of games, uh, particularly skirmish games, you will activate a model and they will get 
two activation points and they can like move and then shoot or open a box and then shoot or aim and shoot or do something like that. This game does something a little different. Each model has a certain number of action points and for every action point, they can do a thing. Um, now that might be a move, a movement of a particular distance as in their profile. And one of the things that was, everyone seemed to be super critical of when this game was being announced was that it uses a bespoke ruler. Now you can very easily, they say what the measurements are in the book. You can very easily just say, Oh, a circle is whatever, two inches. I can just, or three inches. I can just move this three inches. Cool. No problem. Now, yep. for example, a and of course I had the profile in front of me, and then I closed the book because I'm yeah, a dummy. They're, they're weird. You know, when the game first dropped, this was something that earned a lot of derision. I think we made a lot of fun of it. I haven't even thought about it honestly until you just mentioned it. Mm -hmm. Now it's so second nature, but it is weird because the numbers, the the distances don't seem to have any correlation to the shapes they chose. So mm -hmm. a triangle is one inch, a circle is two inches, a square is three inches. And a pentagon is six inches. So yeah. those are your ranges. And everything else is unlimited range. Most guns have unlimited range. Um, but yeah, it, it's weird. I, you know, you completely get over it by like the end of your second game. You stop thinking about it. But it, it was a weird decision that I think had something to do with them not having to account for inches and centimeters, maybe. Mm -hmm. I, I really don't know for sure. Well, it does make sense in that I like that this is a skirmish game where most weapons don't have ranges. Um, you know, how weird is it when you're playing a game, even games that I love, like bolt action, uh, my submachine gun fires 12 inches or my rifle yeah, yeah. fires 24, where we know that some rifles can shoot far further than that. Now, of course, it's you have to extrapolate it a bit for a tabletop. Uh, yes, I get it. This, though, feels good in that most weapons that aren't pistols can just fire as long and as far as they want, depending on line of sight. Now, of course, as we said, lots of terrain. That isn't going to be easy in some cases. But when you're moving these models, um, as Steve said, a circle is worth two. So if I have a just a regular Death Corps trooper with the LAS gun and bayonet guy, he has a movement of three circles. So he can move right. three two-inch movements. Now, you might say, well, why don't I just move six? That was part of why I think people were super critical of this game. But when you actually start playing it, you actually move it in three little two-inch increments. You might say, well, why would you do that? Well, to go around a wall, you would need to move two inches to the corner, two inches to get around the wall, and then two inches on the other side of the wall back the direction you came from, if that makes sense. In that way, it's a lot like Star Wars Legion, where you use the movement template that bends in the middle, and right. if that makes sense. So it is different, but it does make sense. It also helps you when, because there there is so much terrain on this tabletop, it helps your to know that, okay, I've moved to here. Now I have two more circles to go. Now what, and then there are specific rules for translating to moving up and down terrain, interacting with terrain. So yep. it really streamlines that process, which... Once you've played it a little bit, as, as Steve said, it becomes second nature and you don't even think about it. But when I first looked at this game, again, was the thing that was like, yeah, I'm not sure about this. But the people who had told me I should give it a go said that isn't an issue. You would like this. And so, again, 
I gave it a go, yeah. and they were 100% right. It's not a big deal at yeah, all. Yeah, it's weird. It just it looks weird. It, it kind of rubs you funny. You're like, okay. But then once you play, it's just like, all right, whatever. I'm. It's fine. That <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly, right? So it's weird. Marines, then, if you're paying attention at home, can theoretically possibly move further than a guardsman because they have more activation points. Or they can move around a corner and then aim and then shoot. Or they can move up, grab an objective, and then move back. Um, They have more options of things they can do in their turn. And I'm sorry if I just gave an illegal combination there, Steve. I'm just ballparking here. (laughs) Nope, nope, you're good. Okay. No aiming, but besides that, we'll let it pass. Okay, cool. I'm tracking all your demerits. You'll have to do push-ups for them later, (laughs) but it's fine. Damn it. Um, So... uh, (laughs) Thank you, sir. Can I have another? Um, <laughs> continuing there, um, it I guess it does make sense in that the more elite troops, um, the superhumans, so to speak, um, are capable of more than the average human being on the tabletop. And, mm-hmm. you know, they might just be better trained. They might be better equipped. Whatever. You can explain it away. And again, it, it helps to give each team a character. Now, another nice mechanic with that, because at one point I was playing heretic go- uh, marines against orcs, and I I was, I think, over, two to one outnumbered. There's an overwatch mechanic, but it isn't overwatch like I've ever seen it in any other game. Usually with overwatch, we think of like old 40K or a variety of other game systems where you put your guy on a, on a corner and say, cool, I'm putting him on overwatch. And then when somebody walks by, you can say snap fire and then roll dice to hit them or that kind of thing. That right, isn't how this right. works in this. It's as you're going through. And once you're finished, let's say I'm playing the Marines and I have half as many guys as Steve's orgs. Once I've run out of activations and I will get to the pass mechanic in a second. I, and then Steve guy walks where I can see him. I may be out of activations, but it doesn't mean that Steve can just move around willy-nilly without consequences. My guys, even though they've all activated, can take a free shot at Steve's guys who are just walking between barricades. Did I explain that right, Steve? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you can't interrupt an activation, but what Overwatch really does in this game is um, it's a little bit of a catch-up mechanic if you are behind on activations. Because it's an alternating activation game, if I've got 10 guys and you've got four, you know, it's going to be you, me, you, me. And then once all your guys have a- activated, they can possibly, if they're on an engage order and haven't done so yet, they can basically get a free shot off. So it's, it's you know, they call it Overwatch. It's kind of like a limited activation. But mm-hmm. yeah, you can basically say, I'm going to that spot. And if you wind up ending within this guy's line of sight, then he's he might get a shot at you. Exactly. So it's kind of a, it's a catch up, you know, um, uh, outnumbered mechanic that works pretty well. Now that felt really good when I was playing against Dave with his orcs because he took four Gretchen and they were just his first four activations every turn were those damn Gretchen, which means mm-hmm. I had no idea what the rest of his orcs were doing for most of my activations. And then it meant that I was kind of trapped as to what I was doing uh, until, you know, all of those were done. But it meant that all of a sudden, if I was in the right places, then when he moved his orcs, I would then have shots at them. And it wasn't like they were moving around without impunity, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So it works. It works pretty well, you know. 
it's a good mechanic i think it's a it, it also would suck to be like cool i guess you just got like eight activations i'll just sit here and watch mm-hmm. it kind of makes your opponent think and gives you an opportunity you know yeah you're not gonna go for a little uh mental uh nap uh while your opponent's going and right. running around and doing <laughs> stuff you it's not like you can like go to the bar and get a beer and like hang out for a while and talk with your mates while this dude's doing all the stuff you're actually right. it keeps you in the game which i really like one of the cool things here is and we have we've only been talking about this game sort of in in a match play situation so far uh, yeah. but let's talk about where this game really starts to sing and that's with its campaign mode now i have not played this at all but the even the scenarios the way um, the models interact and the way that you know experience works between games really does add a hell of a lot to the gaming experience with this gaming system right yeah i think you know if you've got the the right group uh and the right mindset to do a sort of narrative campaign it's it's really well fleshed out it's it's pretty cool essentially you know you track experience for each of your models um they can sort of level up which will give them a specialism which is kind of like choosing a class and then within that class they can get special abilities right um, you can also sort of, uh, keep track of your base, which is pretty cool. You can either pick one or like roll. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of just for flavor at first, but then you upgrade your base. You can have like advanced medical facilities or, you know, a different requisition, um, paradigm. I don't, uh, you know, whatever, like mm-hmm. a different cargo bay or whatever, if you're on a ship. And then, you know, um, as you, you keep upgrading, you can also get access to better equipment like sort of secret equipment and they actually do a cool thing there is also a mechanic where let's say you're playing your sisters of battle and you're playing a campaign because they're just so cool and you're like i love it i'm tracking all these all these people and then i show up with my guardsmen and i'm like well i'm not playing a campaign so you've got all these advantages there's actually a little chart where you can basically say all right well i've got all these nine advantages that i'm going to play with but that's going to hook you up with a bunch of extra command points, which uh, is is big, you know? Yeah. So so they do a good job of making it to where you could hypothetically be like, man, I'm going to do the campaign thing. You don't have to, uh, but it won't be unfair for me to play my stuff. Again, I'm not sure how tightly balanced that is, but, you know, if you're doing a campaign thing, you probably don't care as much anyways. It's, it's, so yeah, it's a pretty exactly. fleshed out, cool system. Now, I'm glad you brought up command points because that is on the old talking list. Uh, now, command points are almost, uh, they're special abilities that your the race of your team has um, that mm-hmm. you can call upon mid-game, either the beginning of the turn to give you a benefit for the whole turn, or that you can do as a one-off uh, to change a particular die roll or how a model activates or interacts with the terrain piece, that kind of thing that is race specific to the um, the team that you're playing. Now, there's also a base one that we forgot about, but I would have found really handy given how crappy <laughs> I was rolling, which is you can burn a command point. You get one command point at the start of the game and you get one per turn if we were playing that right, Steve. You, yep, you, you start with three and then you generate one additional every turn. So cool. essentially over the course of a game, you have a total of, well, you have a total of six. You start with two, and then at the start of turn one, you get your third. Um, so yeah, you have six. So they're pretty impactful, and they're used, to your point, there's one where it's reroll at any die, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that you also have strategic ploys, which are usually things that will affect 
the battlefield for the entirety of the turn. And then there are tactical ploys, which will let you do something really cool in the moment, right? And so Mm -hmm. a good example of that is a Space Marine. You know, they have a tactical ploy where if you shoot my Space Marine and he dies and he hasn't activated yet this turn, I can play one for one CP, I can play only in death does duty end where my Space Marine gets to take his turn and then he dies at the end of his turn. So he gets to do one more thing and then he's dead. And that's that's a tactical ploy. Whereas a strategic ploy for the Space Marines might be called Bolter Discipline, where everybody who has a Bolter that turn could attack twice if they want to. It still costs one action point, but again, as we discussed, Space Marines have three action points. So even though you are a few and your foes are many, you can you can do things to be like, well, each of my guys is going to shoot twice, and they shoot really good because they're Space Marines. So you know they're they're quite scary still. So those strategic ploys are what can really add flavor to the factions and you know the individual models already do a good job of that but you know to your point earlier the eldar aren't going to have you know stand and fight and lay down heavy fire type rules they're going to have you know sneaky get out of jail free cards Mm -hmm. and and i have no idea what those are because i don't know anything about the eldar but you know they're going to be very different and they're going to add a lot more to that faction identity absolutely and some of the weapons as you mentioned before have special rules as well that change the way that the dice work or how models interact as well. So again, there's lots of little layers of rules to give each model on the tabletop, but both the weapons that they're carrying the, the race that they are. So, um, uh, you know, what their base characteristics are, that their stats and how that all comes together really makes each model on the table an individual but n- not at the expense of having, you know, like a Malifaux or a Marvel Crisis Protocol games. And I, I do enjoy those games, but you don't, I don't have to pull out my glasses to read tiny, tiny print on a card to try and figure out what this model does. Because there's like two pages of print on a, on a <laughs> six by four card in my hand right. and driving me mad. Right. This is... In that way, I think this game is very elegant, that those layers and they just add up to a really a tasty cake of individuality, so to speak, um, without it being too much of a mouthful to take at one time if I'm not totally bastardizing my metaphors. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just enough. It's enough to add some crunch and some really interesting depth. And you know, I mean, why do we do this, right? It's it, there's more there's more to this than just the actual tabletop. It's the 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 time I spend thinking about it. You know, when I'm lying in bed looking at my ceiling and mm-hmm. I'm thinking, all right, what guardsman would I take against such and such? And it's those rules interactions and and you know they're yeah they they add a lot of the fun and a lot of the depth. And, and they're not too overwhelming. I mean, some of them are a little complicated, but by and large, there's something small, like, mm-hmm. you know, do an action to shout how about how great the emperor is. And then for the rest of the turn, all the dudes who are within three inches of you get a reroll. It's, you know, they're, they're that and, and they're, they're impactful, but they're not complicated. Exactly. Now, I do think I did say earlier that, you know, I was a little confused with some of the secondaries. I think the secondaries have some of them have the most text. So, again, if you're learning this game for the first game, leave the secondaries outside. You don't need them Um, and maybe leave out the the bonus gear just so you have one less thing to think about. 
And then Bob's your uncle. You're ready to go. And then yeah. pick it up in your second game. Because I was using everything by the end, and I didn't find it totally overwhelming. I didn't have that moment of, like, Malifaux, for example. Not to keep crapping on Malifaux. Again, I really like that game. But when I was playing a lot of second edition, there would be tons of games where I would just go, I have no idea what's going on. I got lost. Where are we? What's happening? Um, and I <laughs> never had that problem with Kill Team. Keeping in mind, when I played this with Dave of War and the Mouth of Madness, we were playing it the day after I got my Pfizer booster. And the, my whenever I get a Pfizer vaccine, um, I don't typically get sick, but it, it kicks my ADD into overdrive and I get super hmm. vague. And it drives my wife crazy because half of the things I say, I don't finish. Huh. And like That's weird. I, yeah. Well, I was playing it in the full mode of that and I got it. And I didn't get lost once. So again, I think yeah. this game and part, and I just wanted to be full transparency there because I was a little vague when I had my big day of playing this. So I would like <laughs> to play it again now that I'm quote unquote back in my right mind. I, I really like it. Now, another s small layer of detail here is that with some missions, particularly with those linked to what Steve was talking about earlier, um, which are the, the books based on the settings. So I'm holding the Octarius book, which is the additional book outside of the rules that comes in the base box with the Commandos and the Kriegers. And with the missions there, there are particular scenery types. Yes, they're in the, they're the actual scenery pieces in the box set, but, you know, it's a orc oil pump or a ramshackle, ramshackle wall <laughs> or a ramshackle yep. barricade or a scrap pile. So it's not like you can't easily substitute this out. They have their own rules, which work or some of them do, I should say, um, the scrap pile in particular. But that ties into how the, um, the missions work on the tabletop because there are specific rules for some of the pieces of terrain. Again, just minor right. things. But again, adds a little bit of extra flavor um, and really does give you the feeling that you are playing around a particular, uh, I don't know, in a particular area that has a very individual flavor, if that makes sense. So different yeah, missions. And, and some of them are very different. Yeah. The same mission on different terrain just feels very different. So, you know, that's another variable to, to keep the game fresh and different. But again, you don't have to play with that starting out. Now, I do want to say that when I got this for Christmas, I, and I am sitting on a mountain of models. I know a lot of people have said that they have problems with the price point of this game, especially in Australia, given that we get, you know, not the best uh, conversion rate for prices for Games Workshop products. Mm -hmm. I would recommend, um, what I asked my wife for specifically was, a lot of people have bought this game and broken it into pieces and sold it on eBay. Um, yeah. now a lot, and what that means is it's because most people want to buy enough orcs to make a commando army for 40 K or enough Kriegers to make a guardsman army or whatever else. Well, that means the rules are sort of left over. I was able to get the Actarius book, the core rule book, the templates, the movement templates, um, an additional set of dice. Like I needed those. Uh, and they are just regular D sixes. Uh, and uh, and some other bits and pieces, oh, all the all the templates and um, counters that you need. And there's, you know, they're helpful. You don't need them, but they're helpful. I got all of that for a very cheap deal. And I think that's probably the best way to get into the game. 
especially if you already have some models. That's yeah. a that's a great that's a great thought. Yeah, it's a great point. Why I bring that up in particular, and I don't normally say let's find the cheapest way to play a game, kids, um, because I you know that could be the way you want to play, or you, you might want to go a different way. That w- I don't want to tell people how to do their hobby. But what often people who have not played this game are are missing a certain point. This is not 40k light. This right. you can't take a chaplain leading a space marine kill team, for example. Your yeah. kill team for marines are going to be basic space marines or they're going to be um, basic scouts if we're going to talk about like the quote-unquote firstborn or the regular Space Marines. Now, if you want to get into the newer type of Primaris ones, you can take like Reavers or Intercessors or whatever, but you are not going to have Dreadnoughts in this game. You're not going to have vehicles. You're right. not going to have... Even Assault Marines aren't in this because they are a diff- there's no Terminators. They are just... It's basically everything from the troops section yeah. of every yeah. it's army. It's the rank in the game, and file. Right? That's right. It's the rank and file guys, really. So all you really need to do to play this game for most factions, uh, in fact, I think every faction I'm, I went through and quickly flicked through, is literally walk into a games workshop store or your local friendly, you know, game store and buy one box of core infantry. And then, yeah, m- many are many are one. Some you you do need two, but most you can get away with buying one. I bought one box of tactical marines, and I got a whole you know tactical marine kill team with lots of options I can swap in and out. So lots of them are one box. Some some you need more, but yeah, you're right. It's 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 pretty inexpensive. Of course, I say that now. I own like nine kill teams, so <laughs> the first one's free. That's not yeah, exactly. <laughs> But it it is it's a rem, it's a game that's remarkably easy to get into because I and I, I of course I brought up the buying it in pieces. You can of course buy the rule book in most game stores, uh, Games Workshop in particular, um, and the template separately and all of that. But if you, I've heard many people criticize this game for a price point of getting in, whereas I think this is maybe one of the easiest games to get into for Games Workshop and one of the lowest. Um, price points to get into of any games workshop game and it is a rich fun gaming experience and you can you know especially if you have those 40k models from forever ago you know you're yeah. ready to go man go. it's a whole different game too it's a it's a fun experience it's a it's a chin scratcher it's got a lot of depth and still plays relatively quickly it's 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 an A plus for me, man. You know what? It's an A. There's a, there's a couple rough spots, but mm-hmm. I'm very very happy with it. It's it's definitely usurped my uh, my gaming attention. I'm I'm playing at least once a week, sometimes twice a week, and it's kind of all I play. You know, I'm I'm sitting here looking at my Legion models like hmm, maybe maybe next week. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. And <laughs> uh, if I may quote you, uh, when we were doing the pre. Uh, episode uh, discussion back and forth online. You may have called this game your bay. So uh, <laughs> I think they, I have not heard such high praise of a game uh, from Steve McLaughlin in quite a while. So I think that that goes a long way. Yeah, man, it's it. Check it out. <laughs> so Steve, we've talked a lot about this, you know, playing with your friends, having a good time. Um, from an organized play standpoint, I feel like this game translates well beyond 
you know, playing, you know, a bunch of filthy casuals playing. And I say that being a filthy casual, like that's my preferred <laughs> game style these days, like the filthiest casual I can possibly be. Can you talk to us like from an organized play? Have you played this in an event? Would you play this in an event? Do you like it? Yeah. Great, great questions. Um, I have not yet played it in an event. I do think it's getting some attention. Um, and there is actually a, a big event coming up on the East Coast here, I think in just over a month, uh, called the Kill Team Open. It is a specific Kill Team event at a hotel in Baltimore. Um, and I'm signed up for it. So I'm, I'm excited to try it. I'm like a tiny bit wary. Um, I think the Legion community has really, really great support for organized play. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I don't know what Games Workshop organized play really looks like. I haven't ever really done it. And th this is being run by a, a third party. I think they're, um, they're I, I forget exactly what, what they are. And they're following this sort of broadly published set of guidelines for tournaments called, I think, the ITC. I'm sure people listening know more about this than I do. Yeah. And I, I will say those seem to be a little misaligned with the current kill team. Like in reading the packet, it looks like it was made for the previous edition. For example, it has symmetrical board setups and this game absolutely very yeah. clearly does not want you to use symmetrical board setups because there's, if you do, there's literally no benefit to being the defender, uh, mm -hmm. having to set up first and stuff. So, so there's a couple things that I'm like a little bit wary of, but I, I think it will lend itself well to tournament play. Um, you know, I think individual games uh, will play about as long as, like, say, a game of Legion, maybe a bit shorter. Um, I think the cognitive load is going to be pretty significant. I think I would hate to play, like, more than three games in a day, which they I do. think that, that's what we're scheduled for, three mm -hmm. in a day. I'm just like, whew, I think after three, I'm done. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about it. It'll be fun. I, I have no idea what I'm getting into. I haven't played this. Actually, I, I, you know, that's not true. I did play in a air quotes tournament um, at the Warhammer store that's near my house. It was a one round tournament that went off victory points uh, only. So, oh. so basically whoever got the highest victory points in their one game won the tournament. Um, and I, I had a blast. I also kind of frankly, completely dominated my opponent i didn't mean to it's just i took my guardsman and he had sisters of battle and basically on turn one i called in that mortar barrage and he was super bunched up mm -hmm. uh combined with in a game of few dice you know we're not rolling fistfuls of dice we're rolling four dice here three dice there mm -hmm. that that is very susceptible to swings and that day the dice gods were with me and I was rolling crits left and right on this single mortar barrage. And he was rolling ones and twos on armor saves. Yeah. So I think like right off the bat, I killed like 40% of his kill team. It was downhill from there. And the funny thing is the maximum victory points you can get in a game is 20. It's capped at 20 victory points. I had 18 victory points. The only reason I didn't have 20 is because I had that tack up. I was talking about earlier where I have to have more guys die which I assumed I would fighting sisters of battle, but because I just was mm -hmm. rolling hot and blasting the ecclesiarchy all over the place, you know, I ended with 18 victory points. And so I got second place because somebody else managed to get 20. I didn't watch that game, but I was like, wow, if it was crazier than my game, I don't even want to know how his opponent felt. It was one of those like, 
I'm winning, but I kind of feel pretty bad here. Like, yep, yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, blew, blew a lot of them off the board before they got to activate. Sorry, buddy. That sort of sucks. The game doesn't normally go like that. No, so I, I don't, I don't want anyone to think, yeah. you know, yeah, that that's the, the name of the game. It's really not. Um, but uh, but it was a fun experience. I did win Best Painted. That was pretty hey. fun. That was cool. Uh, but anyways, so yeah, it'll be my first organized play experience with a games workshop game i think um other than i think i did uh warhammer underworlds once that like kind of board game thing mm-hmm. right when it very first started it was a shade spire shade spire yeah, uh, yeah. but so i i'm very curious i am excited about it i think that there seems to be a pretty passionate community around it um it do i think this is a viable tournament game in the long term i don't know the answer to that I, i'm waiting to see um but right now i'm feeling pretty positive about it you know I do, man. I do. Now, um, I, I do want to bring up a couple of points from my notes that I'm just I was quickly going through those, making sure that I hit all the points. Yeah. For those of you, and we've talked recently on the show and we'll continue to talk recently I'm sh- or going forward, I'm sure about um, so like Warhammer 40,000 Second Edition and Fantasy Battle Sixth Ed. Like, there are some old Hammer games that are coming back hard at the moment now there have mm-hmm. always been sort of pockets of people playing some of these games you know quote-unquote dead games but you know there are people who adore them and my god i've seen so many sets of second edition 40k being sold through local facebook pages it's astonishing mm. i see more second edition being sold at the moment and i'm in warhammer selling groups than i've seen the current editions being sold it's crazy Uh, And I mean, like, a lot. Now, I know that there is a hotbed locally, but I know it's being played in other places. For those of you who may have a bee in your bonnet about Second Ed, the close combat system and the way some of the rules interact with this game feels very Second Ed. This game feels, to me, if I was to, you know, sort of cram it into a 15-second elevator speech would be like a 40K skirmish game that is sort of the best parts of Warcry and some of my favorite parts of Warhammer 40K 2nd Edition sort of crammed together. And so I did want to make that point that if you were super passionate about 2nd Ed, this is not 2nd Ed, I might add. This is a modern skirmish game, but there are there's some feeling in there and there's some elements that I really enjoy and um, it, it felt really nice for me when I was learning to play this to put the orcs on the table that I I played with my opponent. My, my only opponent for part of high school was my friend Jason. And he always played the same orcs and his guard and whatever else. But I always played against the same orcs over and over and over and over again. And as an adult, he gifted me. Um, his old orcs. And so I had these mm. rogue trader orcs, beautifully painted. His free hand's astonishing. And he only painted models for like two years, the jerk. And, you know, 30 plus <laughs> odd years later, some of his free hands for his checkers and the eyes on some of his orcs are better than I can paint now, which drives me up the <laughs> wall. Awesome. And yep. he's using like <laughs> crappy brushes in the 80s and like ancient paints. What the hell? Anyway, to see those orcs on the table again was brilliant. But, you know, sometimes when you put older models on the table and you play them with newer rules, that it just doesn't feel right. This felt right. For those orcs, 
and for newer, I was playing with second ed and third ed plague Marines as my uh, heretic models. And then I had later edition dark Eldar as we were running those. And it, it felt right for almost every edition. So this is really a fun game to bring out, you know, your old hammer models and some of your new models and however else you want to do it because you are really focusing on the core troop types. Those for a lot of armies haven't changed dramatically over time. So you can no. really do a lot of fun stuff with this. So yeah, I think that's true, cool. man. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't I didn't realize that. I never played second edition, but I did play third edition, and there was a whole section of the book where they introduced the concept of kill team in third mm -hmm. edition, and it was very different. It was not a one on one skirmish game. It was more like a full size board, mm -hmm. and your opponent has like sentries, and your guys got to sneak up and do something. I, I don't really remember it other than it was in there. It was, uh, and it was fun. I, I was actually reading those rules the other day. It was, huh. to be honest, it was a little clunky, but like it was a fun, Don't different way it. to play the game <laughs> at the time. Uh, and I, yeah, anyway, I've, I've been unapologi uh, unapologetically rereading the 40K third ed books recently. Uh, and, you know, for getting crapped on a lot, a lot of people left 40K from second to third because it wasn't second edition anymore. And we actually talked to Rick Priestley about why that was and what third ed became. Um, which was mm. his and Jervis's forty, uh, sorry, World War Two skirmish game that they were playing. Um, then because they because the the board scrapped second ed. They anyway, I've told the story before. Go back to the Rick Priestley episode. It's really good. I, I um, will definitely go back to that. Yeah, that's um, cool. It him talking about that, but um, yeah, third ed. I love it. Anyway, moving on. Once I started going down the rabbit hole and talking about talking to Rick Priestley and talking about uh, Warhammer 40,000 third edition, I think it's probably time to go. Steve, <laughs> thank you yep. so much for coming on. Uh, first of all, it is amazing to hear your voice again. Thank you so much for making the time, brother. I know you're super busy, but again, he, being able to sit down and talk crunch and talk numbers with you about a game that we've both played has been so good, brother. Thanks, man. I enjoyed it. I appreciate you having me on, dude. My pleasure. Well, guys, I know I've talked that and said I would be covering games that aren't bolt action. Fear not. We will be back. Uh, there will be more bolt action coming. There will be other games coming as well, as you've seen with the roster recently. And the Warlord cast is back as well. So there's going to be a lot going on on the Cast Dice podcast network. Um, yes, there, there has been discussion of shortly jumping to a video podcast so you would be able to literally watch these conversations as I record them. However, I have had, since posting that on Facebook, I've had a ton of people message me saying, please continue to post the audio cast. I, you know, I listen to this while commuting. Guys, I will not be changing the audio format whatsoever. And I'm going to be very cognizant of the fact that if I am recording an, a video cast, uh, I will also be, you know, not doing the, and now you can see in this slide, because that makes for terrible audio. I am a radio mm -hmm. guy by training. This is how I will continue. The audio show will continue, uh, hopefully at the same quality, if not better quality, moving forward than in the past. You will just, if you happen to be, you know, in front of a computer, you can watch my face talking while I'm talking, which I'm not sure anyone really wants, but hey, technology is great, right? But 
on that note, if you have any feedback for the show, if you want to talk to me about things that you want to hear, you know, game systems or particular uh, bits of the Bolt Action universe that you want me to explore, thank you so much for the people who've reached out to say that you enjoyed my conversation with Topher about how to use terrain in Bolt Action. We have gotten so much feedback about that. I really appreciate people taking the time. If there's something that you really liked, if there's something you really don't, again, message the Facebook page, Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. My name's Brad. Hi. You are guaranteed a response by me. And I guess that just takes us back to what our old buddy Casey always says. When you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, more than anything, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night.